Are you ready for the Word of God this morning? You can come with me to John's Gospel. John, I spent a lot of time in the Gospel of John, and wow, there are such precious things that we can learn off of John uh, that can help us in our journey. John chapter 1, verse uh, from verse 15, let's do verse 15, we'll look we'll, chapter 1, verse 15, we're going to go till as far as verse 18, I think, in, uh, okay, John chapter 1, verse 15, to verse 28, and then verse 49, I think it is. So John testifies concerning him, and cries out, saying, this was he of whom I said, he comes, he who comes, after me has surpassed me. So John the Baptist is Jesus' cousin, you know, because he was family of Mary. And so uh, John the Baptist, is, he was born first. I think it was six months before Jesus was born on that glorious Christmas day. So John says, he's saying here, come back. You're going a little bit too fast for me, Tato. This was he of whom I said. So he's talking, uh, okay, to the nation. And he's saying, he who comes after me. So he comes after me. First I came and then he came. But now he says, he has surpassed me because he was before me. Now, that statement already confuses me. If you see what, I, what he's saying there, you know. He's saying that, that, John is saying that Jesus, who came after me, have surpassed me. Okay? That's why he said, you know, I must decrease so that he might increase. I, I really wish that, that we could think about that. And that we could ask God to help that statement to be made practical in us. Because so many people are so full of themselves and not full of Jesus. And that's why people struggle in their relationships. They struggle in their jobs. They struggle in their businesses. Because they're full of themselves and not full of Jesus. Are we together? All right. Let's go to verse 16. So from the fullness of His grace, we, from the fullness, so He provided His grace, which in His grace there's fullness. And He's saying that we have benefited as a result of that. From the fullness of grace, we have all received one blessing after another. Can I get an Amen. That grace, when, when, you know, the word grace is the word charis in the Greek. It's the word that means unmerited favor. Did we receive unmerited favor? We did not deserve the blessing of the Lord. But yet, God does not remind us that we did not deserve. We remind ourselves. And sometimes I think it's good that we do that because it keeps us humble. But God doesn't remind us and say, you know, you didn't deserve it, you know, but I gave it to you. That is not the way God operates. Now he's saying, 
from the fullness of His grace, we have all received one blessing after another. Can you say that? Repeat after me. From the fullness of His grace, I have received one blessing after another. All right, we'll, we'll unfold that a little later on. Let's carry on. Verse 17. For the law was given through Moses. The law was given through Moses. But that does not mean there was no... There was... Some preachers preach about that, but it's not true. There was periods of grace in the law of God. All right? But it wasn't manifold as when Christ came. Please understand that. All right? So grace and truth came through who? Came through Jesus Christ. Grace and truth. I want you to please unpack that. Grace and truth. I did not deserve it, came from Jesus. I did not earn it, came from Jesus. The unmerited favor of God came from Jesus. Not only the grace, but also the truth. I once was blind, but now I see. Therefore you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. So because of Jesus Christ, he removed the scales from our eyes. And now we are able to understand and we are able to grasp the truth. That's why serving Christ, we don't serve Him with recitations and, you know, with, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, certain prayers that people read of the books and the ten Hail Marys and the one Our Father. No, we don't serve God that way. Why? Because truth has been revealed to us. And some of you have not discovered the truth. How do I know? Because I can see it in your life. The truth has not yet set you free. Because you have not discovered the truth. And if you haven't discovered the truth, you haven't discovered Jesus Christ. Yeah? Just take a moment to think about that. Just take a moment. And verse 18, no one has ever been or ever seen God, but God, the one and only. So there's only one God. There isn't three gods. There's only one God. Right? You've got to understand that. Some people say you Christians serve three gods and then we accept that. We don't even, we don't even defend that. We don't even explain to them that. And you need to be able to explain your faith to some of your Muslim friends. Because some of our Muslim friends know more of the Bible than we know. Who is at the Father's side? So, the one and only who is at the Father's side has made Him known. In other words, because of the truth, He has now removed the scales from our eyes. Now the Father is revealed to us through the Son, because of the Son. So Jesus Christ, His work is to reveal who the Father is. You've got to understand that. Carry on. This was John's testimony 
when the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. Carry on. He did not fail Jesus, or rather John. John is now telling them. John did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Christ. So they were inquiring, who is this new kid on the block? Who is this new preacher? The, the priest, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, all those who were, you know, the Jews, they, they are well trained in the scripture. Since a child, they already know the Torah. They can recite the Torah even at a very young age. So the Jews generally, they knew the scriptures. Just because you can recite the scriptures does not mean you have the truth of the scriptures. Because there's a work that needs to happen. So in order for us to know who the Father is, we can only know the Father except through the Son. It is the work of the Son, Jesus Christ, to reveal to us who the Father is. Come on, somebody. Come on, church. Are you together with me this morning? Right? Let's carry on. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah, the prophet? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Carry on, verse 22. Finally, they said, who are you? If Give us an answer to answer to take back uh, to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? So in other words, they're saying that we were sent as a delegation to find out who this new kid on the block is. To find out in the, in the marketplaces and in the religious squares who this new person is coming to preach. It sounds to them like a, a new doctrine. So he's saying, they are saying to, to John, give us something that we can take back to the people that sent us. John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of the calling, the one calling in the desert. Make straight the way of the Lord. Before Jesus came, stand. So over 500 years, before Jesus came, John, uh, Isaiah prophesied about the coming of the one. But he said, before the coming will come, there will be, there will be a voice in the wilderness that will cry out. And the voice in the wilderness will prepare. He was a herald. He would prepare the way. And he would reveal that the Christ is going to come. Right? Now some Pharisees who had been sent, carry on. Verse 24 and 25. Question him. Why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? So they took offense. That he was baptizing. But what John was doing. He was preaching repentance to the nation of Israel. He did not first baptize the people. No. That's why we don't believe in baby baptism. Because you must first repent. Before you can be baptized. It is as a result 
of your conviction that you are taken through the waters of baptism. I baptize you. Now he's saying, I baptize you with water. John replied. But among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me. The thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. So John is giving honor. He's, now let me just say to you this morning as a Christian. If you don't honor, when you don't, when you dishonor. When we dishonor one another, the presence of God will not dwell there. You can sing ten songs and worship songs, but if you don't honor, you see, God lives where there is honor. Say that after me, God lives where there is honor. But if you look at society today, we are bent on dishonor. We like to dishonor. We like the song and the voice because the stories are stories of dishonor. But let me just remind you that where there is dishonor, I don't want to go into the whole colored thing, you know, because that is the reason why colored people can't stand together because they always dishonor each other. They'll dishonor their pastor. They'll dishonor their leaders. They'll dishonor their prayer intercessory group. They'll dishonor one another, you know. And so therefore, when there is dishonor, the presence of God cannot manifest. Then he says, this all happened at Bethany on other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. Verse 49, please. Then Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And that's what I'm hoping that he will be revealed to us in a personal, you know, in a personal way that we will know Jesus Christ, not in a book, not in a Bible study, but that we will know him as we walk with him. And so as we commit ourselves this, you know, to the series that we will come and walk with the great I am. Father, this morning, I want to pray that you will help us, lead us to the rock that is higher than we are. Lead us to the great shepherd, to the great I am. Reveal to us those things that God desires every human being, every person to know. In Jesus' name. John the Baptist is one of the most important persons. In fact, Jesus actually said it. He was the most important prophet. You know? He is mentioned at least 81 times in the book of John. Now, John the Baptist is not the author of the book of John. The book of John was written by the Apostle John, one of Jesus' disciples. Okay? So don't confuse the two. Understand that John the Apostle was a disciple of Jesus, and he is the author. Uh, okay? And, and it's, it's amazing when you look at the way that he wrote. I wish 
I had the time to explain that to you. But it blows your mind. It baffles your mind. The things that John was able to see that the other disciples were not able to see. John had a special privilege of introducing Jesus to the nation of Israel. He also had a difficult task for preparing the nation. And you see the questions of the Pharisees that they came with. They came with striking questions. It was not easy. In uh, chapter, what John the Baptist had to say about Jesus in uh, chapter uh, 1 verse 15 to verse 18. Can we just look at what he said there? He summarizes it from verse 15 to 18. Jesus testifies concerning him. He cries out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes. Okay, so he is explaining now about Jesus making his appearance. And that he, even though he came afterwards, he's acknowledging and he's recognizing that Jesus lived before he was born. He recognizes that even though he came after me, he is greater than me. Are we together this morning? Verse 16, let's see. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through, now we're going to be reading through some scriptures that we have read, but the reason why we're reading through it is just so that we can catch it and we can grasp it, all right? Moses, for the law was given through Moses, Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. John testified about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has priority over me, for he was before me. He takes rank above me, for he existed before I did. There is he saying it. He existed before I did. Even though he came after me, Jesus existed before John did. He had advanced before me because he is my chief. Okay, let's go to verse 16. For out of his fullness, abundance, pleroma, okay, is the Greek word. For out of his abundance, the fullness, we have all received, that means all had a share, and we were all supplied with. No one is excluded. Every person is included in that share. So no, no person should be able to dictate to you. That's why in the Middle Ages, in the Catholic Church, people had to pay in order to be saved. People had to pay in order to receive forgiveness. Okay, let's leave that for another time. One grace after another and spiritual blessing upon spiritual blessing. And even favor upon favor and gift. Heaped upon gift. So God heaped up for each and every one of us piles of blessings. Jesus Christ has fullness of grace and truth, fullness of grace and truth. Grace is God's favor and kindness bestowed to those who do not deserve it 
and cannot earn it. If God dealt with us only according to truth, we'll be in trouble. None of us would survive according to truth. That's why in the courts, when you strictly follow truth, there's no mercy. There's no grace. But thanks be to Jesus Christ who has made it possible that when we get to the courts of God, God does not only have to lean on the side of the law, but God has made His mercy now, His grace available for us. He deals with us on the basis of grace and truth. Aren't you glad for that? Don't you feel happy when somebody exercises grace towards you? When you know that they deserve punishment? Doesn't it bless you? Doesn't it make you feel good? That when you know that the person that you did or that you spoke against, you were very harmful to that person, but the person has treated you not in the way that you deserve, but in a way that expressed truth and grace. Are you understanding uh, here this morning? All right. Met Jesus Christ in his life and death and resurrection, met all the demands of the law. In other words, the law said, the wages of sin is death. So when, when there was sin, according to the law, the penalty of the, of the law, the penalty that was had to be executed was death. So the only way to meet, to satisfy the law is to meet the requirements of the law. So in other words, where there is sin, death must be made available. That's according to the law. That's the only language that the law understands. And so now here we find that Jesus Christ, oh hallelujah, met all the demands of the law. And now God is free to share fullness of grace with those who trust Jesus Christ. In other words, uh, Sister Annie was praying the other night, you know, that we have tied the hands of God. It's like that situation. Because of sin, it tied the hands of God. Why? Because God cannot go back on His word. God cannot say, oh, well, okay, I shame. Okay, no problem. Fine, it's all right. I'll overlook it. That's not the way God works. That's not the way justice works. What you sow is what you reap. That's how justice works. But now Jesus met the requirements of justice. In order for there to be justice, there has to be death. In order for there to be a, a reconciliation, there have to be the only thing that satisfies the law is death. And so Jesus met the requirements. He met the requirements. That's why today he can be our high priest. Because he met the requirements of the high priest. He met the requirements of an intercessor. Because he can relate to the things and that's why he intercedes for us before the Father. We're talking about Jesus Christ here. And I know I'm giving a lot of information. In First John, or rather in, in John 1 chapter 17, Jesus did not suggest that there was no grace under the, the law of Moses 
because there was. Each sacrifice was an expression of grace of God. The law. I want to, can I show you in the law, in the Old Testament, which is the books of the law, I want to show you that even in the law, there was grace. The Bible says, Ephesians 2 verse 8 and 9, you know, but we have been saved by grace. We, are also, we also live by grace. Not only are we saved by grace. Now, this is the thing that I think a lot of Christians have not realized. We are quick to say, I've been saved by grace. Amen? But we struggle to live by grace. I said, we are quick to say, the Lord saved me by grace. And that is true. But the problem is, we fail to forget about that grace. And therefore, we don't live anymore by grace. If grace can save you, then grace can keep you. What are you saying, pastor? I'm saying if the grace of God could qualify you, even though you did not meet the requirements, if the grace of God is able to look beyond your fault and see your need, if the grace of God is able to pull you up out of the foulest snare, if the grace of God is able to snatch you out of the burning fire, if the grace of God is able to pull you up out of the mighty clay, then the grace of God is able to help you walk on top of the mighty clay. We can receive one grace after another. I want you to please 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 10. This, this is moidus me. It's moidy. But by the grace, say by the grace. The unmerited favor of, and blessing of God, I am what I am. All right? So uh, Paul is saying that who I am is not what I have achieved. It's not by my might. It's not what I have studied for. It's not by my status. He's saying here, I am what I am, but by the grace of God. That's what he's saying now. And blessing of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not found to be for nothing. God did not save you so that you can backslide. Come on, somebody. You are so precious to God and so important to God that He's not prepared to let you go. That He has packaged in you the grace to carry you for nothing. In other words, for fruitless and without effect. So God did not save you to be a bench sitter and be fruitless. God saved you to produce fruit, to multiply, to be productive. Right there, I can park right there and preach a very fiery sermon just on that alone. But God did not save you so that you can be, you know, unproductive. He saved you and revealed His truth to you so that you could produce fruit after His kind. In fact, 
I work, Paul says, because of the grace of God that I receive. That has motivated me to work even harder because of my gratitude and my gratefulness that I know that I know I did not deserve it, but yet I receive it. And now because of that, I want to show my appreciation to this marvelous and wonderful Savior. I, wanna, I, I just want to live for the King. I said I just want to swing by the king. I just want to live for the king. Everything that I do, I must live for the king. That's, that's really what he was saying there. I worked harder than all of them, the apostles. Though it was not really I, but the grace of God. He, the unmerited favor and blessings of God, which was with me. Now he says, but the grace, the unmerited favor, and blessings of God, which was with me. Beloved, we're sitting on a, on a gold mine. We're sitting on precious, precious, valuable treasures that God has locked up inside of us, wrapped up in the grace of God, only to be discovered. James chapter 4 verse 16. But he gives us more and more grace, power of the Holy Spirit to meet this evil tendency and all others fully. That is why he says God sets himself against the proud and haughty, but he gives ganada, he gives grace. Continually to the lovely, the lowly. Here help me. Those who are humble enough to receive it. If you're too, too, too proud, okay, fine. Do it your way. But when you are humble, God will pour in your life the grace. And what you do, will, you will do it in such a way that it's so simple. It's so simple, but when other people do it, it's hard. Hey, it's hard labor, young. But when you do it because of the grace that God has put on you. So, can we just stop saying that we're going through tough times? Because we are, we are overlooking something that is more powerful than tough times. Called the grace of God. In fact, my prayers, I'm beginning to pray now. Lord, let the tough times come. Yes? Because where the tough times abound, grace abounds the more. Come on, somebody. Where there's lack, provision abounds the more. Where there's loneliness, joy abounds the more. Because the grace of God is... God has wrapped up something very powerful, particularly in life. But we park and we, we meditate on all the negativities. Hey, but grace gives us continually to the lowly, those who are humble, who are humble enough and to receive it. Whew. John hinted that the mosaic system 
a whole new order had come in replacing the mosaic system. The mosaic system was a, it was the law. So he's, he's introducing a new system, a system called grace and truth. Eh? Finally, Jesus reveals to us, after this essence, God is invisible. First Timothy chapter 1 and verse 17. Now to the king of eternity, incorruptible and immortal, invisible, the only God, eh? to be honor and glory forever and ever, to the ages of ages, amen, so be it. So he's invisible. So Jesus had to come and reveal who this invisible God was. He had to come and bring to light who this invisible God was always from the beginning of the earth. God was always desiring to fellowship with man. And because man, you know, sinned and he distanced man from God, God always wanted to be close and personal with you. When people talk like that, they upset me. Then I tell them, if it even visiprati, I don't know who you're talking about. God is not the man van boo. He's the man van pinna. Jesus Christ reveals God to us. Colossians 1.15, quickly. Now, he is the exact likeness of the unseen, the invisible God. The visible representation of the invisible. He is the firstborn of all creation. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3. Check it out. He is the sole expression of the glory of God. He is the sole expression of the glory of God. Wow. That says it all for me. He is the sole expression. He is the full expression. Light being the outraying or the radiance of divine. And he is the perfect imprint. He's not a copycat. God didn't say, let me make me a son. The son is exactly who the father is. He is the perfect imprint and the very image of God's nature. Philip, why are you asking, show me the father? Look at me. If you see me, you've seen the Father. If you've seen my nature, you've seen the nature of the Father. Church, I think the church of Jesus Christ needs to have a rebirth of Christ's worth. Because we treat Jesus like he's a stamp. When we pray, 
we pray and we put our stamp in Jesus' name. But I don't know if we have the arrest and the conviction in our hearts to know exactly who he is. And he is the perfect imprint. Let me carry on. Let me skip. When he had, by offering himself, accomplished all cleansing of sins and radiance of guilt, he sat down at the right hand of the, <laughs> the divine majesty on high. In other words, he is now seated. Christ is not standing, but Christ is seated because he met the requirements, the obligations, the demands. He met that. And now he has the right to sit down. Why? Because the work is finished. When he hung on the cross, Vanessa, he said, it is finished. He knew exactly what he was saying. He hung on the cross. Understood exactly what was done when he hung on the cross and said, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. It is finished. My work is done. Jesus Christ explains God to us and interprets him for us. We simply cannot understand God apart from knowing his son, Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus said, no one can come to the Father except through me. If you don't know me, you won't know the Father. Hello, somebody. And so we have to revive that, you know, that insight and that revelation we have to revive that in our hearts to understand the role that Jesus Christ plays. It is pivotal to our well-being. The phrase, the word son is used in the first time in John's gospel as a title of Jesus Christ. The phrase only begotten, the only begotten son, the only begotten means Unique, the only one of its kind. There isn't another Christ. Only the Antichrist, but not the Christ. And we are, we are moving fastly. Our earth, our generation is moving quickly towards the revelation and the manifestation of the Antichrist. But while we are living in the time of the Christ, don't seek the Antichrist. Seek the Christ. Hey, the mensen is pissig, jong. Hulle soek die maak of the beast. Corona is die maak of the beast. World Health Organization is die maak of the beast. Sal Ramaphosa is die maak of the beast. Stop looking for the Antichrist and start living for the Christ. Jesus is eternal God. God has always existed. He has always, in other words, Jesus has always existed. Uh, at least nine times, for those of you that are students, nine times Jesus called, he's called the Son of God. Nine times. In John chapter 134, in verse 49, in John chapter 3, verse 1, in John chapter, uh, sorry, 3 verse 18. In John chapter 5 verse 25. 
in John chapter 10, verse 36, in John chapter 11, verse 4 and 27, John chapter 19, verse 7 and 20. Why am I reading that to you? It's important so that the word of God may be able to persuade you and set your conviction that truly he is the son of God. Because we're living in a time, look at Facebook. We're living in a time where people, they also call it devotions. And the devotions that they give you, I was watching a very nice movie. It's called Revine. Josephine and I were watching the movie. Nice movie. Nice. Nice warm things like forgiveness and bitterness and healing. All the nice warm things that Hollywood is infiltrating the minds of our people. Softening them up for the lies and pushing them away from the truth. The only thing that was missing in that nice movie is Jesus Christ. Not once do they mention the Lord Jesus Christ in that movie. And some of you that like the series and that I was watching a series. Joseph, I don't really, it's the first time that I watch a series. Well, the second time. The Good Doctor is the one series. And the other one, Manifest. Because Manifest, there's a lot of heresies in Manifest. Now, you know, because I've been trained in the Word of God, it's easy for me to pick up. But if people are not trained in the Word of God, and you make that your gospel, part of your gospel, you accept the lie and you allow the lie to deceive you. Okay, lost You will recall that John had in his purpose in writing to convince that Jesus is the Son of God. He is not only the Son of God, but he is also the God, the Son. Jesus is not only the Son of God, but Jesus is also God, the Son. Jesus is not only the Son of God, but Jesus is God the Son. He's the Son of God. Jesus Christ is the Son of God, but He's also God the Son. So He is also my Lord and my God. And that's what made the Pharisees mad. The religious people crazy. They were upset. How can he do that? But if you look at the prophecies and you look at the fulfillment of the prophecies, you cannot deny that. Mark chapter 3 verse 11. Did you know that even the demons, even the demons acknowledged that he is the son of God? Mark chapter 3 verse 11. Yeah. Whenever the evil spirits saw him, they fell down on their, on their knees, if they had knees. But they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. Yeah? Even the demons. But yet, some of us, we stumble, we struggle. Not in church, 
but when we in the company of our colleagues and friends and neighbors, we struggle to tell them that Jesus is or say, yeah, you know, all God's align God is most in. Say, lich man. We pray to the variety. Align God is in. Let Allah see it. Wat dier uh, virgin birth kom, en geboorte gee, en wandel op die aarde, en laat hy sien, laat hy sy lewe aflee, op die kruis, en dan op die derde dag opstaan, en dan laat hy sien, terug na die hemel toe vaar, laat hy sien, weer terugkom na die aarde, dan kan ons miskien praat, maar totdat hy nie die is nie, kan hy nooit, Say, can I compare with my God? Oh, your mind, as a belief. The reason why I talk like that, because some of you Christians, I've heard already, how that you laugh, but say, Allah, God is in it. Allah, you laugh, Sam. It's not a joke. It's not a joke. You are dishonoring your God. You are dishonoring your God. Allah, God, can I in this? God is te groot vir hom. Hy is te machtig vir hom. Let me move on. John the Baptist is one of the six persons that named uh, Luke chapter 4 in the meantime, while I'm busy, Luke chapter 4, 41, let them read it so they can see even the demons. I read now Mark uh, chapter 3. Now I want you to read Luke chapter 4 verse 41 and just see these are so what say the demons are so. Yeah. But even so, the Bible, uh, you know, tells us, Nathaniel in John 1.49 said that thou art the son of God. Peter, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. The blind man, truly you are the son of God who was healed. Martha, you are the son of God. Thomas, my Lord and my God, and even the Lord himself. In John chapter 5, verse 25, then you have been, you have seven clear witnesses that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. But Jesus Christ is also God the Son. Now, repeat after me. The life I now live, I must live in Jesus Christ. So if you live outside of Jesus Christ, you don't have access to the Father. Did you know, I don't know why I'm doing this, the Holy Spirit is leading me now. Did you know that Islam don't have a Father? That's why when we pray, Jesus said, and when you pray, you pray, our Father who art it in heaven. He is our heavenly Father. So in the circles of religion, they do not have a father. They have a deity that they claim. But he's not the father, the heavenly father. Let me just say that there is no substitute for Jesus Christ. Not artificial intelligence. There is no substitute for Jesus Christ. Not your job. Not your, your degree not your education, not your church that you belong to, 
not your apostle or your bishop or whatever they, they want to call themselves. The fact of the matter is there is no substitute for Jesus Christ. There's only one Lord. There's only one Savior. There's only one mediator. There aren't two. You can't say today, I don't feel like going to him today. Tomorrow I'll go to someone else. You see that? Jesus can save us from our sins and give us the grace that we need to live in him. If you want, to, if you want fullness of life, you have to go to Jesus Christ. If you want fullness of life, I know that we all want fullness of life, isn't it? That's why some of us, we, we go after things. We go after substitutes. We think that if we go after certain things, that we will have fullness of life. I always tell couples when they get married, I always tell them, you know, Rochelle, I tell them, if you say that your partner makes you happy, then you are being set up for disappointment. Because no partner in life can give you the happiness that you need. It's only Jesus Christ that can give you the happiness. First, be happy with Jesus. Now take that happiness to your marriage or to your relationship. That doesn't mean God doesn't want you to be happy. He wants you to be happy. But you cannot find it in another person. You can only find it in the Lord Jesus Christ. So your partner can never, you see, that's why we set ourselves up. You sit at weddings and they make quiet speeches. Oh, you're the sugar in my tea. You're the cremora in my coffee. You know, they, they're all the nice fuzzy rubbish that they say to one another. Yet, in the long run, when they live life, they just need to start living life. They'll discover this alien, this irivarity. It's not the truth. I was not, you know, the, the bright stars, you know, that he was talking about. No. Or he wasn't the bright stars. Because my life is down now. All you need to do is find Jesus Christ. Keturah, can you hear me? Can you hear me in there? If you find Jesus, you will find happiness. And when you find happiness, you will bring that happiness to your home. The way to relate to the Lord determines how we, we relate, how He relates to us. If you treat Jesus like a Sunday morning God, then he will respond to you on a Sunday morning. But if you have him when you rise up in the morning, yes, the Bible says in Psalm 119 verse 145, seven times a day, I praise thee. So in your day, Wherever you go, whether you go to the bank, whether you go to the town center, whether you go to the shopping malls, whether you go to school, whether you go to work, 
Whether you go, it doesn't matter where you go, whether you go to the beach, doesn't matter. Whether you go to the baths, doesn't matter. Take Jesus with you. There are some people that go on vacation, and I, I must respect that. You know, they leave their Bibles at home. They don't want because they say, no, I'm on holiday, I must rest. I must rest. You can only find rest in Jesus Christ. But we have accepted the lies that the world have taught us. We have accepted that. That, okay, now we are lekker, to eat, we are lekker, you know, op a lekker dinges. And now we have nothing to say about the Bible, we have nothing to say about the cake, we have nothing to say about the journey. Yeah. But you're fooling yourself because your happiness cannot be wrapped up in anything else but Jesus Christ. Follow with me. Jesus said, apart from me, we can do nothing. It's tragic for us to have an active life and then at the end discover that nothing we did would last. Is that a disappointment? Set all your effort, all your geld, all your time, and that thing is spent. But the, the, the payout, there's no return of investment. Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. No leader, no author, no organization, no set of religious disciplines can do for us what Jesus alone can do if we let him. Drive or divine truth becomes dynamic life. Only when we yield to Jesus by faith and follow him, if the founders of the world's philosophers and religious systems were alive on earth today, they would only say, I was. That's all they can say. I was. I'm no longer there. I was. They are dead. And they can't. I was. Jesus doesn't say, I was. Jesus is alive and says, I am. I am. Please don't miss this. I am that I am. He can meet our needs today. He is alive this very moment and offers us a satisfying spiritual life in the present tense, in the now and now. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the same past history, present reality, future certainty. And all unite today in Jesus Christ, the great I am. I am is recorded in scripture and revealed the depths of the Christian life and how God's children can go deeper by living with Jesus in the present day. When with Paul we should be able to say, Please flash this up for me. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. 
You got to, this is very important. This is the primary verse today. Don't miss this. I have been crucified with Christ, Paul says. In him, I have shared his crucifixion. It is no longer I that live, but Christ that lives. The Messiah lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in him. Please notice that. You're going to hear that word next week. By faith in him. By adherence to the reliance on the complete trust in the Son of God. And the life I what? The life I now live. That life is not tomorrow love. That life is not, uh, I'm planning this year, 2022. Christ wants to be involved in our lives now. Not tomorrow, not next week. Not first, I want to enjoy my life when I'm young and do my stuff when I'm young, do drugs and do all kinds of things. No. He says, now, I want to be the epicenter of your life now, I want to be involved in your business now. I want to be actively involved in your relationship now. Don't leave him for Sunday. We need to take Jesus with us now. Paul says, I now live in the body. I live in faith now. The way some of us treat Jesus. It's like we, we, we treat Jesus out there, somewhere far in the future. That's not what he came to do. He wants to be with you so that you can walk with him, so that you can talk with him, so that you can get up in the morning with him, so that you can go and have breakfast with him, so that you can get dressed with him, so that you can travel whether it's in the taxi or whether it's in a car or in a bus. But now, I want to be the epicenter of your life now. Don't put me when, only when there's trouble. Don't, don't call me the I am when, you, when you're in a mess. I want to be a part of your life now. I want to be a part of your life in your finances. I want to be a part of your life in your planning. I want to be a part of your life in your career. I want to be a part of your life. Don't put me out there. And when things don't work out, now you want to call me in. Jesus says, I am that I am. He does not say, joy. He does not say, I'm going to be. He does not say, I'm going to be the bread of life. Or I'm going to be, the, you know, the light of the world. Oh, I'm going to be. He doesn't say I'm going to be. He says, I am. Make me the reality of your life as the I am. And then you will walk in the fullness of grace and truth. Thank you, Jesus. I quote to you what he said. We will do the book of John. Next week we will do I am the bread of life. Can you say that after me? Say, I am the bread of life. 
The week after that, we will do, I am the light of the world. Say, I am the light of the world. The week after that, we'll do, I am the door. Can you say it? I am the true vine. I am the truth and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. He is the alpha and the omega of your life. Not only is he the beginning and the end of your life, but he also wants to be the in-between of your life. The in-between. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, I thank you that Jesus Christ has revealed to us who the Heavenly Father is. Thank you that you gave the grace so that the Son could bring it to us. You gave the truth so that the Son of God could set us free by the truth. I ask this morning that you look over this congregation of people and that you will make Christ a reality to them. Open up our minds, open up our hearts, give us understanding, give us the wisdom. You even teach us in your word, if a man lacks wisdom, let him pray unto God for wisdom. I pray that over this congregation of people, that we will receive the revelation of your word and that we, our Lord, as your word is being digested into us, that we may say, as Paul said, that it's no longer I that live, but it's Jesus Christ that lives in me. May we die of ourselves. May we die to the world and the pleasures of the world and the cares of the world and become alive to the great I am. In Jesus' name, amen.